17, verses 22 and 23. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Hello, welcome back to Think This Way, the podcast of Faith Bible Church. I am Bryce Beal. I am one of the pastor elders here, and I have another pastor elder here with me, Dan. Dan, we are very glad to have you back from Hawaii. Hey, it's great to be back. (laughs) I was telling Dan the other day, um, we're very glad you went, but uh, we really felt your absence. I mean, at least I certainly felt your absence. So I suppose that's a good testimony that you're being very useful here. So thanks for coming back. <laughs> oh, well, our pleasure. We uh, we couldn't afford to stay in Hawaii. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> the gift of it. The gift of it. All right. Well, we are talking today about talking, about talking about God with unbelievers. So all of us have lost friends, family members, And we have been considering this whole quarter true things about God as we find them in the Bible. And it's part of our Christian joy that we get to meditate on these things, and they do transform our lives. But we also want to remember that a part of why we want to think clearly about who God is is so that we can tell his praises to others, so that we can communicate him to others. And today we want to talk about specifically how do we talk about God with the unbelievers that we know. First, I want to say something self-evident. You already know it. Uh, And it is that when we talk about God in our context today, there is some common ground between us and the unbelievers we're talking to. If you say the word God, G-O-D, to anyone you meet in your context, they will know in a general sense what you mean. They won't say, God, what does God mean? They'll know something about that word. There was a 2017 Gallup poll where people were asked, do you believe in God? And of the group that they asked this to, 87% said yes. And so the other 13%, I suppose, would be atheists, maybe Buddhists, possibly, depending on how you think of that belief system, others. But 87%, that means most everybody believes in God, however they define that term. This makes us like Paul in the passage I quoted in Acts 17. He was in Athens. You may be aware that Athens in ancient Greece and in the Greco-Roman situation that Paul found himself in there in the first century, Athens had been the Greek center of philosophical thought. Great philosophers came from there. It was also a religious center, just the name Athens. It comes from Athena, who was a Greek goddess. So the Greeks and the Greco-Romans, they had a what we call a pantheon, meaning a set of multiple gods that they worshipped. The gods were very powerful. They were not perfect gods, um, and there's certainly not one god. There were many gods. But in that situation, when Paul says the word god, the Athenians would understand something about that word. They don't understand the God that Paul worships, but they understand something about that Greek word theos. If Paul uses that, they understand something of what he means. 
today, Athens actually is still the kind of cultural, philosophical background for us in the West. And uh, the word theology comes from the Greek, theos, theology. And so today, with our heritage, Judeo-Christian and Greek and Roman and etc., et to say the word God to an unbeliever, there's some common ground. So you can talk about it. But that leads me to a second point, which is really the point we want to make. Because that's so, you have to be extra thoughtful in how you talk about God with lost people because you say the word God, they say, I know exactly what you're talking about. The reality is they almost certainly do not. Although there's a common ground, it's only partially and maybe very thinly overlapping. They know God in a general sense, even today, uh, and it might not be the Greek pantheon of gods, it might be even the Christian God they're referring to, but even when they refer to the Christian God, it's very unlikely that they have even an approximately similar view of God that than we do when we are studying Scripture. So generally speaking, of course, God, but specifically, it's very, very different. Dan, I wanted to ask you, from your own experience, what would you say is the typical view of God held by an unbeliever here in Evansville? Well, I've got to agree with you 100%. There is a commonality that we all share and that we all know that there is a God. I mean, coming at it from a bibliocentric, Christocentric point of view, we're going to use the Bible as our authority. So even though there are some people who say with full authority in their voice that there is no God, we know that there is and we know that foxhole believer that they may be when they're in trouble, they call out to a God of some sort and their conscience also defiles them. So they give evidence to the law of God, which is in their heart and on their conscience, regardless of their culture, because you can find the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, reflected through various cultures of various times. And, you know, it's not always good to lie. It's not always good to steal someone's wife. It's not good to murder your brother or your sister. So now in our day, I, I, I guess you would have to say in our area, you would have to say that 50% of the people in our area would say that they believe in the God of the Bible. About 25% of the general population would say they believe in a higher power or some spiritual force. About 10% of people would say that they don't believe there is a God, but they do believe in, again, the same mystical force. And some people would come right out and say that they were atheists or there is no God, which probably irks them because they have to use the name of God when they describe who they are. (laughs) So... So many, and even people who claim that they believe in the God of the Bible, fall prey to false or inadequate views of God, which I believe would rightly be called idolatry. Mm. And even in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah called to the nation of Israel, Isaiah 55 starts out with this wonderful introduction, and he calls out for those who, is, who are thirsty to come and drink, to buy milk and to buy food and bread without money, without cost. There's an invitation for them to seek the Lord. But immediately thereafter in Isaiah 55, the prophet speaking the words of God says, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. We have a fallen, inadequate, short-sighted view 
of who God really is. And so we need his revelation. We need his clarity. I do think that that produces in us just that line of thinking you presented there in Isaiah 55, a real humility, because even though we are saying, just like Jesus had said to the woman at the well, you know, salvation's of the Jews. He was saying that to them. They have a wrong view of God and a wrong view of Scripture, only accepting the Pentateuch in Samaria. But Jesus interacting with the Jewish people showed that even those who knew true things about God, it wasn't an automatic fix of their lives or anything. Some of them, they were the Pharisees, you know. Well, that's what Paul said. I proclaim to you what you do not know. You know, there was the unknown God. And Paul said, hey, you know what? That unknown God you have this little memorial to? Well, let me tell you about him. Knowing the true God, we have to affirm that, just like Paul. I want to proclaim to you this unknown God, which assumes Paul knows this God, which in our context today might seem arrogant. Like, who are you to say that? But we can say that because we have it in Scripture. We didn't make it up or discover it on our own. It's in the Bible. But it also does give us a humility here. We should never have a sense when we're talking about God with unbelievers, like, aha, I know everything, you know nothing, sit at my feet and learn my wisdom. It's like, you know, I got to go home and maybe I yelled at my wife this morning, like, that's not something people who know the true God should be doing. So there should be a humility in us. I appreciate you pointing that out too. Interestingly, this was back in 2005. I had never read this book, but I hear it referenced all the time. There's a sociologist named Christian Smith wrote a book. He had interviewed 3,000 teenagers And this, again, was 2005, so I guess these teenagers would be millennials or whatever you want to call them today. But he interviewed 3,000 of them and was asking questions about God just to try to understand here in America, what is the typical view, at least of that age group, when someone thinks about God? He came up from that survey of 3,000 people, he came up with this term, that the common view of God today is moralistic therapeutic deism, (laughs) which besides being a very large set of words, um, is actually helpful. So if you just take moralistic, what he found was most unbelievers then, and I think it stands still now 15 so years later, most unbelievers, when they think of God, would say, well, God wants you to be a good person. Hence the moralistic, because you need to be good. And if you are good, then you go to heaven. That's the typical view, except for those few bad people, people you don't like or Hitler's. Uh, Therapeutic, that second word, not only does God want you to be good, but he wants you to feel good about yourself. And this comes in place of more traditional Christian teachings about things like sin and repentance. You won't hear those sorts of words because, again, those things make you feel bad. God's not interested in that. He's interested in helping you feel good, hence the therapeutic. Deism uh, is not a perfectly accurate term. Technically, a deist believes God made the world and kind of walked away. But still, there is this sense that God is distant. He's not involved in everyday life, but he is involved, but just when necessary, when there's an emergency or something really big comes up. So hence the deism. I think that that description probably encapsulates how most people think about God today, that he is someone who wants you to be good. If you're good enough, hey, you'll get into heaven, no problem. He'll overlook some of the bad stuff. He wants you to feel good about yourself, wants you to have self-care, wants you to have self-esteem, and he's not 
really always there exactly, kind of, but sort of mystically, but he'll show up when necessary to help heal you or, or do something when you really need it. I think the one takeaway from this for us is when you're talking with a lost coworker, very humbly, and you're talking about God, and they say, oh yeah, I love God, I know God, it's helpful to say, okay, there's some common ground here, but there's a lot that's not common ground. And I need to know when this person says God, are we even talking about the same God? Or is he talking about this moralistic, therapeutic, deism God? I remember one missionary I had visited who told me, and he was in a Western context in Europe, and he told me that he had changed his evangelism style where most people he interacted with, I think it was most, if he had the time, he no longer was starting, say, in the Gospel of John. He was starting in Genesis because people didn't know even who the Creator God was. So we've just got to start there and work our way to John. So Dan, as we move from this, um, just this, I suppose, uh, thing to think about, which is make sure you know that you're talking about the same God with someone, (laughs) figure that out as you're sharing. Dan, what advice would you have for someone who says, okay, I want to bring up the subject of God. I want to find out what someone believes about God with an unbeliever that I know, but it's kind of hard to do it. How do I bring this up? you have any advice for that person? Sure. I, I do believe that it's not only a command of Jesus Christ that we communicate the good news, the evangelon, the, the good news concerning him, but it's also a privilege and a joy to be able to be used of God as his mouthpiece to communicate that truth to others. Now, as we think about how we communicate truths about God, you know, we have to remember the, the words of that very famous American theologian, Samuel Clemens Mark Twain, who said that God created man in his image and man turned around and returned the favor. Because you're absolutely right, Bryce, people do create their own God. And so how do we talk to people about God? Well, first off, number one, I think it's essential that we have a confidence in God and that his word shapes our understanding of the one true God is revealed in scriptures. That's very important. Have that confidence. Number two, especially today, and especially with those people who might be classified as millennials born between, let's say, 81 and 96, or Gen Z born between 97 and 2012, that we must walk the walk. So number one, Confidence in God and his word, let that be the basis of it. Number two, walk the walk. Don't walk inconsistently. I remember one of the epistles uh, to the early church talked about how we could be rebuked by unbelievers because of our behavior, but still even there, God is shaping us and molding us to make our behavior match the gospel message. And number three, know the gospel. Be able to have an elevator speech so that For example, today, we had somebody from our printer company here training us on how to use the printer, the copier machine. And we were explaining uh, what our purpose was in sharing the gospel. And I said, well, it's important for us to share the gospel, which is the message that God has made us. We are alienated and foreign from God because of our rebellion. And yet God in his mercy has provided Jesus Christ as the one who obediently followed him in all ways, and God invites us to trust in his son as the sacrifice for our sin and to make us right with him. 
So even in passing, we can have that sort of conversation. So know the gospel, have an elevator speech that focuses on the gospel itself. And remember, it's not that we're going to talk about our conversion or invite someone to church. Those are good and important things, and God uses those, but that's not the gospel. Be able to enunciate the gospel quickly and effectively and biblically. Now, does God use other methods? Yes, we had a story this week of one of our people who was wearing a shirt that said, Faith Over Fear, and it's a shirt that we have here at Faith Bible Church, and this person is a little shy, not someone who is very gregarious and very outgoing, but they were wearing the shirt. Someone saw it and asked them about it. That person was able to say what the shirt was about, where it came from, and so that family started coming to church. There are lots of ways that we can be a witness, and I would encourage folks, whether it's use of, use of a track or the shirt, Faith Over Fear, or similar evangelistic tools, use those to begin a conversation. But remember, this is a life-saving message, and God has entrusted us with that. So share the joy, share the love, you know, be faithful to Christ, and trust Him for the outcome. I think you presented really well the... Almost what you mentioned, millennial, Gen Z, there does seem to be a generational strength and weakness here, at least in my brief observation for whatever whatever it is worth, where my perception is a few generations before my own, there tended to be more of a confidence and more of a willingness to just tell someone about God. You just tell them, like, this is God, tell you, you know. And uh, sometimes done unkindly, but not, I mean, often just done, you know? And then I think today, like my own age and younger, there can be a tendency to go like, I don't want to bring God into the conversation until I've definitely proven I'm good, you know, and I've won this person's affection <laughs> and I've won the opportunity to yeah. speak, you know? And so I think some of that maybe is an attempt at a correction because you do have some people use God as a bludgeon. So we don't want to do that. But, you know, you bring up a wonderful point, and it's really not my goodness. Mm. I want to read from uh, Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and some would translate that thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers of the children, on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So what does God do? First, he shows him his goodness. Second, he pronounces that he is going to identify himself as someone who is gracious and kind, long-suffering. And so, while there may be people today who are affected by this generational shift where there has been a diminution of religious fervor and religious affiliation over the last 30, 40 years, and so there's less religious education, less formal adherence to a church or membership in a church, 
And so the common knowledge that had existed before of biblical truths has been eroded. And those outstanding questions, is God good? I hear about these atrocities of war that are happening. I hear about women and children being slaughtered. I hear about these horrible things. Is God good? It's important that we do indeed show the goodness of God and emphasize you may have experienced good things in your life, but you may have experienced bad, and there's a reason for both. And it is because God is sovereign, and out of the goodness, he will give us the oil of joy of gladness. He will give us joy even in the midst of sadness. He will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. So it's a helpful reminder that in talking about God with unbelievers, even though the culture is shifting and we can take that into account, and we should, and um, I don't know, the word authenticity, living, God is light, we should walk in light. I think that as the culture shifts, that becomes even more important. At the same time, remembering the message that we are bringing, even though the world will always be hostile to it in a natural sense, it can't receive these things we should have a confidence that everything you said, Dan, everything that was said on the mountain, what God calls all his goodness that he makes pass before Moses, that's what we're declaring to people. And if we have this very high view of God and have an excitement about it, that means Moses cried out, show me your glory. He wanted to see it. And if we have that in ourselves, it is going to be something we're talking about and should be something we're talking about, even with lost people with a degree of confidence. It might be that in the past that was not you, or maybe that hasn't been you. You just don't talk about God or politics or whatever the forbidden topics may be. You definitely don't talk about God with people. It will cause uh, conflict that you don't want to enter into. Or it just hasn't crossed your mind that that's something you talk about with lost coworkers or lost family members. You talk about sports and other things instead, and that never comes up. You may have thought that way before, but may God help you and me and Dan and everyone here now to think this way.